Uh, over the past three months now, we have been walking through a series of sermons about the church. We've discussed a number of topics such as formal church membership, the gifts, privileges, and responsibilities of the members of the church. We talked about the structure of authority in the local church and purity of worship. Tonight, with God's help, we will be discussing an office in the local church that is often overlooked, but one that has been ordered and ordained by Christ, and that is, again, the office of deacon. What is a deacon? What is the work of a deacon in the local church? How are deacons appointed in into their office? How can we, the church, how can we support the deacon in his work? Uh, by God's grace, we will look to the scriptures for the answers to these questions. And maybe a few more uh, questions might be answered that uh, we have concerning the office of deacon. And I have... Don't be shocked or alarmed. I have six points for you this evening. They will flow, I think, rather quickly. Number one, what is a deacon? Number one, what is a deacon? When asking the question, what is a deacon, it is often helpful to explain what a deacon is not. Deacons are not elders. And I'm going to use these three words uh, or offices interchangeably because they are one office. Deacons are not elders, bishops, or pastors. You may hear three different names, but they're actually one and the same. Deacons are not elders, bishops, or pastors. Again, different words that mean the exact same thing. Deacons have different and still vitally important responsibilities. They are different uh, from elders pastors and bishops different responsibilities but their responsibility is nonetheless vitally important to the local church deacons are not the ruling board of the church now that might be a new idea for some but it is an older idea in the broader church world uh, the church is not run by a board of deacons also this is a, a term that some of you might be more familiar with Deacons are not armor bearers. Oh, I heard some responses there. So <laughs> deacons are not armor bearers. Some of you may be more familiar with that Old Testament term, armor bearer. The term armor bearer was taken, uh, really kind of uh, held captive by the charismatic church and misused to define a particular people, a men that surround the pastor making sure that no one touches the Lord's anointed. Deacons are not that. Deacons are not the men who have been charged with carrying the pastor's Bible or who are charged with waiting at the pastor's parking space to open his door for him. Deacons are not that and have not been called to that office. So then what are deacons? The Bible describes deacons as servants of the church, servants of the church. If you're looking for a brief definition, we get the word deacon from the Greek word diakonos, which means servant, diakonos, which means servant. We see this word used. Now, listen to this phrase. We see this word used in a non-technical ecclesiastical sense. 
again, non-technical, ecclesiastical sense, and I'll explain what that means in a moment. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, Jesus says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, diakonos, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We also see, this, see the same phrase used in Romans 16.1, uh, the Apostle Paul speaking of Sister Phoebe, or Phoebe, however you like to pronounce that. My wife and I have a debate on how to pronounce that. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, Phoebe, who is a servant, diakonos, of the church, which is at Chinchoria. Also, in Colossians chapter 4, we see the same. Here it is again, non-technical, ecclesiastical use of the term diakonos, servant. Now, when I say non-technical, ecclesiastical, that means that the scriptures in these instances are not teaching something that is prescribed for the church in a technical sense, but rather, in a broader sense, serving is present in the church. Meaning, uh, to deacon is to serve. To deacon is to serve. And that is to be the characteristic of the entire church. So in these instances that we've just seen, Mark, and in uh, Romans, and in Colossians, we are seeing simply the presence of service in the church, but not necessarily the prescription for a particular office and what and uh, who they are particularly to be, if that makes sense. The whole church must follow the example exemplified by Christ of service. Uh, these passages are then are not speaking of the technical work of the office of the deacon, but rather the heart behind the office of deacon, and that is to serve. That is to serve. Now, with that said, there are technical, ecclesiastical uses of the term diakonos that are prescribed for the office of deacon in the local church. For example, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 18 through 13, we are given the requirements for those who are called to the office of deacon. If someone is to be called to that office, they must meet these requirements, which we'll read in a few moments. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1 distinguishes the office of deacon as one that has been ordered by Christ. So it is not only what all of the church should do, all of the church should serve. It is also an office that has been ordained and ordered by Christ for the local church. The use of the term deacon or servant in its technical or ecclesiastical sense teaches us that the office of deacon is ultimately an eminently Christ-like office. Whatever deacons are supposed to do, it is supposed to be Christ-like. It is to be an office that, has, uh, that, like Christ, has come to serve and not be served. It is an office in which that person has come to serve and not be served. Elders are to mirror Christ as shepherds and prophets of the church. Deacons are to mirror Christ as humble need meeting servants of the church. Now, this leads us to our next question. Number two, how are deacons called to their office? How are deacons called to their office? Again, we go to the scriptures in order to discover the answer to that question. And we are in Acts chapter six. Let's read Acts chapter six. Verses one through six. Now, at this time, the disciples were increasing in number. A complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. 
So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procarius, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. <clears throat> we see in these verses that the first calling of the deacons was related to practical concerns and physical needs. The first calling of deacons was related to or uh, caused by practical concerns and physical needs. There was a complaint that arose between Hellenistic Jews and it says uh, native Hebrews, but as it, that is essentially native Jews because the widows of the Hellenistic Jews were apparently not being fed or it, it, apparently they seemed to be um, neglected. Hellenistic Jews were simply those who lived during the dispersion among the Greeks, because at this point the gospel had not gone out among the Greeks. So this was not a dispute between Greeks and Jews, but rather it was a dispute between Jews who grew up among Greeks and Jews who grew up among Hebrews. The Hellenistic Jews believed that the native Jews were receiving preferential treatment because their widows were being cared for, while the Hellenistic Jews or their widows, were apparently being neglected. So this idea of caring for widows will arise later in the epistles, and we'll discuss it uh, further in this sermon. But the apostles at this time were serving the entire church. They were serving the entire church of Christ. At this time, they were caring for both the spiritual needs of the church, which is preaching the word of God, and the physical needs of the church, which is making sure that no one went without when this complaint arose, the apostles realized that caring for both the spiritual needs of the church and the physical needs of the church was too taxing for them. It, it was too much for them. It, it was a responsibility that they could not fully carry to its full necessity. The office of deacon then, servant of the church, was called so that the practical concerns and the physical needs of the church could be cared for and met. Up until this time, again, the physical needs of the church, the things that uh, were needed for the church, uh, the making sure the church was well fed and taken care of, all of those things were provided only by the apostles. So it was a good thing that they were taking care of physical needs and practical concerns. But this important task was taken away from another important task. And that was the time that the apostles needed to pray and to minister the word of God to the people of God. Let us be clear. Uh, this calling of the office of deacon was not only because of a need in the local church. <clears throat> Does that make sense? We're saying, uh, how, how is the, the office of deacon called? Or how is a deacon called to their office? And we're saying, well, there was a need at first. The office of deacon is not only because of a need. 
the office of deacon is because Christ has ordered and ordained that there be an office of deacon. It has been instituted because of Christ. The church has recognized that there is a need there, but it is first and foremost Christ who institutes the office of deacon. Secondly, we recognize that there is a need in the church. Christ has instituted the office because there is a need. Does that make sense? Hopefully so. <clears throat> we also see that there are qualifications for deacons in the scriptures. Therefore, a deacon is what Christ has ordered for the church. Christ has dictated that the church must consist of deacons and elders, and deacons and elders must meet certain requirements in order to fulfill certain needs in the local church. Our confession, chapter 28, verse, uh, chapter 28, chapter 28, paragraph 8, <coughs> 26, sorry, 26, paragraph 8, says this. A particular church gathered and completely organized according to the mind of Christ. Do you hear that? Gathered and organized according to the mind of Christ consists of officers and members. And the officers appointed by Christ to be chosen and set apart by the church, so called and gathered for the particular administration of ordinances and execution to, to be continued to the end of the world, they are bishops, elders, and deacons, according to the scriptures. Deacons are installed by order of Christ, who has ordained their office by need in the local church, yes, by qualifications recognized by the local church and elders, yes, and ultimately and primarily because Christ has ordained it. In the book of Acts, because of the need, the church was called. Who called? The church called. The church was called by the elders to, uh, from the congregation, choose men who met certain qualifications to meet the physical needs of the church. The elders recognized that Christ had instituted this office, and they called the congregation to choose from among them men who met these qualifications. The elders then appointed those men to that office to serve the local church. The elders made the need known to the congregation. The congregation chose men from among them. Deacons were selected by the congregation, appointed by the elders to the office of deacon. And now we should ask, what do they do? What do they do? What is the work of deacon? Number three, what is the work of deacon? In Acts chapter 6, we see that the office of deacon being instituted by Christ is instituted by Christ. But we also see the work of the deacon described for us in the passages that we just read. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. We won't read that again. But what is the work of deacon according to what we have just read? In short, the work of deacon is to keep, listen to this closely, the poorest tables full. And as a result, the pastor's focus can be on the ministering of the word of God. Or to say, another way to say it is, it, it is to keep the poorest tables full and the pastor's desk clear. One might say the work of the deacon is to make sure the physical body of the church is cared for so that the elder can have the necessary time to make sure the spiritual body of the church is cared for. The deacon takes care of the physical body. The elder takes care of the spiritual body. The deacons are those men identified by the church, appointed by elders, who serve the tangible, physical needs of the church. In one sense, we can call them servants of the church. But listen, in another sense, we can call them servants of the elders. How? Because, again, they free up the elders so that the elders can do their primary task. That is not to say that elders are above the task of meeting physical needs. 
but that the responsibility has been given to the deacon so that the elders can focus on a, another responsibility, ministering the word of God. That is not to say that you will never see the elders of this church carrying chairs or stacking chairs or carrying tables or setting up tables. It's not to say that if there is not someone who is in need, that the elders will not respond. But it is to say that it is the work of the deacon as much as possible to take care of those needs that arise throughout the week and among the congregations so that the elders main task is to focus on praying and preaching the word of God. Think about an elder that strengthens your soul with their teaching and with their preaching. Imagine if they were simply not able to study. They simply did not have the time to prepare sermons because they were making sure Sister Martina had enough food to eat throughout the week. Or making sure that Brother Bobby had a ride to church. And not only were they making sure that Brother Bobby had a ride to church, but also they were the ones picking him up. Those are great things. But if someone can relieve the elders from those tasks, it will give the elders more time to focus on the main gift, their main gift, which is teaching. We should all, brothers and sisters, not say, Ray, you've got a big job to do. But we should all say, wow, there is only one deacon. How can I help and assist him? There is a lot that he has to do. Maybe I can help to relieve him, for we are all called to serve in this church. The apostle said, it is not desirable, in verse 2. Another version says, it's not right for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Now, they were not saying that the tables were not to be served. It is clear the apostles believed that both needed to be done, that serving the tables was a necessary thing. It was not as though the apostles said, we will not serve tables, but rather they recognized that serving tables was necessary. And so they called a new office, an equally important office, so that a need could be met in the local church. Tables needed to be served. The word of God needed to be preached. We can all do this together. And Christ has ordained two offices for that, elders and deacons. The elders devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, while the deacons make sure that they are serving people who need their tables served. The office of deacon requires a focus, a focus of the physical needs of the church, while the elders tend to the spiritual needs of the church, and both are important and necessary. The, the deacon is to be looking out and be among the sheep so that he might know what are the physical needs of the church. Who does need to be served here? If the deacons are not finding out how they can serve in the local church or what physical needs can be met, then there is a neglect there. And we must make sure that we call our, our deacons, just like we would call our elders, to make sure that they, were, they are on their task in their office. In the church, we see this dual, need of office, uh, this dual need of the office of deacon and the office of elder. The deacons distribute the daily bread. The elders distribute the manna from heaven. We must make this clear, though. To wait on a table is not beneath the work of the elder. It is simply that the elders can't do everything, and they shouldn't, and neither can deacons. We all must help and serve together. Number four, how should the deacon carry out his work? How should the deacon carry out his work? Well, the deacon must be faithful, and he must be committed to his service unto the Lord, because his service to the church is a service unto the Lord. The deacon must serve the church and be a good steward of the church. For when he does this, he is a good steward of God. He is a good servant of Christ. 
The relief of the poor and the practical needs of the church require the deacon to be entrusted with resources to meet those practical needs. In this church, we have agreed to a certain amount that has been entrusted into the deacon so that as he learns of physical needs in the local church, he seeks to meet those needs by the resources that have been provided for him by the church. The church has said, uh, Deacon Ray, here are resources. Find out who needs needs and who has needs in the church and meet those needs. The resources belong to the body of Christ. They are therefore to be used for the body of Christ. The deacon must be a faithful steward of those resources. He's not to take that money and the next time we see him be dressed in a new Armani suit and uh, alligator shoes. Brother, you are looking spiffy today. Well, the church has blessed me. No, that is not the purpose of those resources. In First Timothy chapter three, we see qualifications of the deacon as, listen, one who is not double tongued, one who does not lie. One who says what he will do and does what he says. One who is not addicted to much wine. One who is not fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. That is a high calling for one who is called to the office of deacon. The deacon must also meet the requirements of elder. All the requirements that we see of elder, deacon must also be those things except teaching. But that is not to say that the deacon does not teach by example. That is not to say that we do not look at the deacon and say, I will follow that perfect example, or at least the pursuit of perfect example to serve the local church. The deacon must be faithful in his calling and he must endure. The deacon is called to serve. And deacons, Deacon Ray and, and those who are maybe deacons in the future, you will be serving with little and sometimes no recognition at all. Sometimes you will be serving and no one will see your work. No one will acknowledge your work. Sometimes no one will even care. But they are benefiting from your work each time they come and worship the Lord on his day. We must, he must be a man who is compassionate as well. And a man who uses great discernment. Deacons are called to help the helpless. And that requires compassion. But it also requires discernment. Compassion cares. And discernment really knows Compassion cares. Discernment really knows who is in need of compassion. The deacon must go out of his way to know the members of the church, to see how he might assist and meet the physical needs and practical needs of the church. He must be one that listens and that cares enough to know what needs need to be met in the church. He listens and he cares enough to know. We must be open to share and we must be open to share what needs we might possibly have. Let me say this again. This is not only the responsibility of deacons, but we should all do this. We should all be getting to know one another so well that we know what needs need to be met so that we can maybe go to our deacon Ray and say, uh, Brother Ray, have you thought about sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so? There is a great need there. You might want to look further into that. We need to assist our brother, our deacon Ray, in helping him to meet the physical and practical needs of the local church. A deacon that does not have compassion is like a father who will not feed his hungry child. And a deacon who does not have discernment is like a father who feeds his hungry child but only gives him candy rather than the pure milk of God's word. Scriptures teach us how to discern who is truly in need. For example, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. This is a, a great example of discerning who is truly in need. 1 Timothy chapter 5. 
<clears throat> the word of the Lord in First Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 through 7. Listen to the example of widows. Honor widows. But listen to what the apostle says. Who are widows indeed. That is a strange and peculiar phrase, is it not? Your version may say, honor widows who are truly widows. You are either a widow or you're not, correct? But Paul is, is getting to a particular point. A widow is someone whose husband has passed away, a woman whose husband has passed away. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. <clears throat> now, she who is a widow indeed, or she who is truly a widow and who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well, so that they may be above approach. Honor widows who are truly widows. In some versions, that is used three times. Again, you are either a widow or you are not a widow. But Paul says, honor the widows who are truly widows. And what is Paul calling us to? Brothers and sisters, Paul is calling us to discernment. The way to discern who are the poor is to determine who are those who are truly poor. All of us say, I grew up poor. Don't we all say that? I was so poor growing up. And then you meet someone who was truly poor. And you realize you really weren't that poor. The one who is truly a widow is one who has no one to care for her. That's what the apostle is getting at. Those who are truly widows are those who had no children, no grandchildren, no resources other than the church to help and provide for them. Paul places the burden of, of, of caring for widows upon the children of the widows and the grandchildren of the widows. And they, therefore, those widows, were not to receive any support. But rather, the burden was to, place, to be placed upon the widow's children and their grandchildren for taking care of that widow is good in the sight of God. But for someone who is truly a widow was someone who was without anyone, who had no help whatsoever. Therefore, they are to look to the church for support. And the deacon must be aware of that need and meet that need accordingly. Paul says in verse 5 that the true widow is left alone and she waits on the Lord. And she also, by waiting on the Lord, she waits on the church. To church the church to feed her and to give to her. Compassion it is. And also discernment. You have to know enough to care. In this same chapter, in verses 8 and 16, Paul reinforces the obligation of, the, of the, the family to care for his own poor. Paul says, the one who does not care for his family is worse than an infidel. Let the church not be burdened, though, with one who is not truly poor. This is an important phrase. We, we must all take into account, uh, in terms of charity, take to heart charity. We must all be aware of this. There, there is a time when disaster comes, when distress comes, and there is a need for us to help and support. But there are also times when disaster has come based upon our own choices and our own wrong actions. 
True widows are true widows because in God's providence, there is no one there to care for them. But if I make an unwise decision that has created a huge financial burden for myself, then that burden is placed on me and not the church. We or that person is not to receive any support for reckless living in spite of the fact that they may be uh, empty of resources. For example, there is a person in need. The church, uh, by the work of the deacon, recognizes that there is a need and they support that person. The church maybe gives them money to pay for their rent. And rather than paying their rent, they take that money to the Tachi Palace and Casino and hope to double up their money and end up losing it all in the process. Well, the church did their part. The church met that need, and that individual took that money and squandered it with a foolish decision. Their foolish decision is no longer the burden that the church should carry. It is one that they should carry. We know that things happen, and the church is there to hopefully try to help and relieve those things that, that those, cannot, those who go through those things cannot relieve themselves. And then there are those who create their own disasters, their own burdens. And the church is under no obligation to take that burden upon itself. Uh, I remember when we first came upon the, the idea of the church meeting the needs of, of the church. And when we first brought that to the church, the idea became so popular that everybody wanted their rent paid. Everybody thought, hey, I'm going to McDonald's. Can you give me five dollars? Uh, <laughs> and it became uh, something rather ridiculous. The church is to meet the needs of those who are truly poor. The church is to seek out those who are truly in need. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verses 10 through 12 has a similar principle. Distrib- distributions must t- be taken. Distributions must take into account if the family is contributing, and if they are able to work for their own needs. There are needs that are not requested, that must be sought, and the deacon must do his work to find out what those are. And there are needs that are always requested, and the deacon must be uh, discerning to see if it is a legitimate need. Number five, what will sustain the deacon in his work? Uh, For our deacon Ray, and for other deacons who will uh, be called in this church, What will sustain you in your work? What will sustain you in the work that often goes overlooked and underappreciated? Christ will sustain you. Remembering he who humbly washed the feet of his disciples will sustain you. Remembering that on the night when Christ was betrayed, even by those who were the ones whom he washed his feet, Remember that the Lord clothed himself like a servant, that he washed the feet of the very ones that he created. He was willing and he was happy to be the least of them. No matter what the work is, no matter if it is carrying chairs from uh, one room to another in the hot July summer of Bakersfield, it's a good and holy work. It's a work unto the Lord. No matter if it is picking someone up or uh, dropping off food to someone, it is a good and holy work, and it is unto the Lord. Deacon Ray, sometimes no one will know. Sometimes no one will care. But it is unto the Lord, brother, and the Lord knows and the Lord cares. It is for his glory and for his praise.
Remember the one who gave himself up for his people. Jesus gave it all. And the work of the deacon is walking in the way that Christ walked and giving it all. First John three eighteen. little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and with truth. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. All that we talk about will be worth nothing unless we act upon it. And that's not just for Ray. That's for all of us. When we see Brother Ray carrying chairs, let us be quick to say, Brother, let me help you. When we see Brother Ray emptying out trash cans, and he is often the last person to leave the church, let us say, Brother, how can I help you? How can I get you home earlier? Rather than saying, uh, how can I as quickly as possible get out of this place? Let us look to our brother and say, how can I help you in whatever task you may be doing? When the church service is over, ask him, Brother Ray, what are you doing? And how can I help to serve alongside of you as you are doing the different tasks around the church? That will be a great help. Imagine, you and I want to get to our cars as fast as possible, especially right now. It's 105 degrees. Well, think about the different work and, and things and tasks that Brother Ray and also uh, who, one who is not the office of deacon, but one who serves uh, in all sorts of different capacities in this church, our sister Mary. How might I serve you? How might I come alongside you and do uh, alleviate some of your work? Brothers and sisters, uh, let us all seek to be deacons of the church and that we serve in various ways and to various degrees. Which leads me to our sixth point. How can we serve our deacon? In ways that we just said, but also seek to encourage his heart. First Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Uh, service is difficult. People are difficult. <laughs> what can we do to serve our deacon? How can we thank him? Ask yourself this. And I can see him putting his head down because he is humble. When was the last time you did thank him? When was the last time you did thank him for the work that he does? Or say, Brother Ray, I, I see what you do. I see the trashes that you empty out. I see the time that you are here. And brother, I want to let you know I thank you for it. And I appreciate that. Brothers and sisters, imagine if some of the things that are done by Ray and even Again, the one who does not hold the office but does everything that the office is, our sister Mary. Imagine if all of those things weren't done. These individuals get here at certain times. Some of them get here at 8.30 so that the air is nice and cool. Sometimes I'm here at 9.30. Imagine if I came at 9.30 and turned on the air. You would say, let's just go outside. We might as well. Some of the things that are done to make, to make the path clear for you, the congregation, to come and be comfortable in the church and for us, the elders, to come and preach the word of God. All of those, those weeds have been cleared out, as it were, by those servants who come and make sure the path is clear for us to walk. Brothers and sisters, let us be thankful for them and let us be appreciative of them. Go out of our way to thank them for their work. Sometimes what I'm doing right now is the most recognized work in the church. But there are many things that are done behind the scenes that are just as important so that this work can be done. Let us not neglect those who are doing those works. We should be seeking to encourage everyone in the church. Encourage the pastor after he preaches the word. Encourage the members to uh, 
hear the word of God again and encourage them in what they have just heard. Encourage the members after they've heard the sermon. Encourage your husbands and wives on your way home. Encourage your children to listen and obey the God's word. Encourage your deacons in their work. Again, thank them. Encourage them. Let them know that you see what they're doing. Here's another one. Follow their example. First Timothy 3.13. For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. If they do well, then their example is to be followed. When was the last time you heard any drama or any gossip about Deacon Ray? <laughs> His greatest vice is that he is the most Republican of Republicans. That may be a vice for some. But we don't hear very many negative things, if any negative things about at all about our brother. That's a great example to follow. They, deacons, serve well. They are to serve diligently, and they serve even quietly. And I think that that is a great uh, example, a description of what our brother and deacon Ray is. Again, help him in his work. Don't just see a trash on the floor and say, Ray will take care of that. Or to empty out your trash in your pocket where you sit and say, Ray will take care of that. Let us all, again, ask him how we might help him. Give thanks and glory to God for him and for them. They serve God through serving us. We serve God by thanking and glorifying God for him and what he is doing through him. If I am being served, I must thank God for that service. And when they do well, we must thank them. Thank God and praise God for what he has given us in our deacons in the local church. Uh, Brother Ray, I say to you, brother, uh, thank you for your hard work that you have done over these years. Brother, you have done so faithfully. You have done so gently. You have done so quietly. And brother, you are a great example for all of us to follow in service to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we come before you now and thank you for uh, not only Deacon Ray, but also for the other servants in the church who are, again, so often overlooked in their work. 